I'm going to ask you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please. And I want to take you to the book of John, chapter number 11. Now, Pastor Tony, after I read this text and I say amen, 35 minutes after that, just come back and start playing. Seriously, that'll be a cue that I need to wrap up. Now, here's what that does. That gives you peace of mind that I'm quitting. But I'm good for at least 10 more minutes. So that'll give you peace of mind when he starts playing. You're going to go, okay, he's about done. Uh, but it'll be a cue for me to start winding this thing up. You do know you're very blessed here with the worship that you have on Sundays. You know that, don't you? And uh, it's not like this everywhere, by the way. There's just some places that don't have this kind of talent and this kind of ability. And uh, there's some Sundays I sit on the front row and I pray because I need grace. And there are some Sundays I sit there and think, boy, if I had a Tony Eads with me or if I had, I think of other names, but you know what? We do the best we can and God uses the people that he puts in local churches. But I'm just going to tell you, you're blessed here. And I'm honored today to be here. I need you to do something for me. You take a deep breath and smile great big. Y'all seem a little tense this morning. I'm not sure why you seem tense. Uh, it's really going to be okay. I'm going to be here, get out of the way, pastor, back in the pulpit next Sunday. He's had two weeks. I mean, he's had a mini sabbatical. He's had two weeks off. So I preach better if you say amen. I preach better if you smile. I preach better if you at least act like you want to be here today. So smile great big at me. Find John chapter 11. Stand with me, please, this morning. Thank you for letting me visit for a few moments today. For the sake of time, uh, this is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. There are 44 verses. I'm not going to read 44 verses. But somebody just said, amen, thank the Lord. But I'm going to read uh, the first um, six verses, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 14. I'll conclude uh, reading there. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. Here's what it says. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now word gets to Jesus, your friend, the one you love is sick. So verse 4 just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When Jesus hears his friend is sick. So when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Boy, that goes, that goes pretty good with that, doesn't it? The man you love sick, Jesus, give me 48 hours. I'll be right there. And then down to verse 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, talking to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. Let us go to the place where he is. I want to take a few moments today. I'm going to preach. I've never preached this anywhere. I believe it has been crafted, designed for this moment and this time. I will probably preach it again somewhere, but for today, for this moment, I want to preach on this thought. Lessons from the life of Lazarus. Let's pray and then I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you for the word this morning. I sense, God, your spirit today moving, brooding amongst us in here this morning, Lord. God, I'm fully aware that you don't need me, that you don't have to use me today, but I'm sure grateful that you will choose to let me stand here today and preach. Will you help me today, God, put a guard over my mouth? Let me say only what you want me to say. Don't let me go a minute longer than you want me to go, God. The spirit of the prophet is indeed subject to the prophet, so I will stop at your bidding, Lord. I ask you to touch these people to receive, this wonderful group of people to receive the truth of the Word of God today. Let it settle deep in their souls and let it serve as a catalyst and a springboard for life change today, Father. Thank you for what you're going to do in these moments, and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Church said amen. Now on your way down. Smile at somebody near you and tell them you look a lot better than you did last time I saw you. Tell them you look a lot better than you did last time I saw you.
Pastor Tony, 12 o'clock will be 35 minutes, sir. Please. John's gospel is full of insight and revelation and truth as it relates to the person and the work and the proof of Jesus being the Son of God. It is a book that is full of the earthly miracles that Jesus performed. Matter of fact, John wrote in John chapter 20, verse 31, there were many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples. But these things were written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and that believing on him, you might have life through his name. In the chapter over, the last chapter of John, chapter 21, verse 25, John said there were many other things that Jesus did. He said, if they were written down one by one, he said, I suppose that the world could not contain all of the books that would be written about what Jesus did. Matter of fact, throughout John's gospel, there are seven notable miracles that Jesus performed. Each one of those miracles contained a message that speaks to us. In John chapter 2, Jesus will show up at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. He'll turn water into wine, revealing to us that he is the answer to man's disappointment. In John chapter 4, he will heal a royal official's son, revealing to us that he is the answer to man's doubt. In John chapter 5, he'll come to a place called Bethesda, And there he'll find a man who had had a 38-year infirmity. He will, with just a word, will speak healing to him, revealing to us he's the answer to man's disability. In John chapter 6, on a Judean hillside, he'll take five loaves and two fish. And he'll feed a multitude of 5,000 men, not including women and children, more like 15 to 20,000 people. When he's done feeding them, he'll gather up 12, they'll gather up 12 baskets that remained over and above them that had eaten, revealing to us he's the answer to man's desire. In that same chapter, the disciples will be constrained to get into a boat to pass over to the other side. Jesus leaves to go into a mountain to pray. While they're in the middle of that sea, the sea becomes violent. A storm, windstorm blows in. Jesus will come walking on the water to them. They'll cry out in fear, thinking it's a ghost, and he'll say, It is I, do not be afraid. And that miracle reveals to us that he's the answer to man's despair. In John chapter 9, he will heal a man who was born blind from birth. He'll spit into the mud. He'll create this clay, smear it across the man's eyes, tell him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash, which by translation means sent. The Bible said he went, he washed, he came back seeing. It reveals to us that he's the answer to man's darkness. And in John chapter 11, this story here of Lazarus, four days dead in a tomb. Jesus will show up at Bethany. We'll call a four-day-old dead man out of the grave. He'll come forth bound hand and foot. He'll look at the crowd around him and say, loose him and let him go because sometimes you can't set yourself free. You've got to have some people help you get free and get to where you want to go. I need to be careful. I'm going to start preaching before I ever get started. And that will reveal to us that Jesus is the answer to man's death. Here's the truth in all seven of those miracles. The bottom line is this. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. He's still the answer for your life. He's still the answer for my life. Whatever you need, Jesus has the answer. I want to hone in this morning on this 11th chapter of John, this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And why, obviously, we'll have to give attention to the miracle There are some modern-day principles that I want to pull out of there. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us just for the sake of time. A brief background won't take long. Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary, lived in a place called Bethany. And Jesus connected with them. He found friendship with them. He found fellowship with them. Oftentimes, if you read through the Scripture and you study 
the commentators and the historians out, Jesus would pass through Bethany, Pastor, and oftentimes he would just slip into that house and he would fellowship with them. Uh, he would do what all good church people do. He'd sit around a table and he would eat a meal and they would spend time together. He just found a, a comfortable place. You know, there's some places you go to and some homes that you frequent, people invite. You just feel like you're home when you go there. And you kick off your shoes, they'll tell you to go to the fridge or go to the cabinet. And, you know, some folks don't do that. But if I have that kind of comfort level with you and you tell me to do that, I'm just not shy. I'm just going to kick off my shoes. I'll go see what's in your fridge. And maybe I can find me a little Debbie in your cupboard. I have no problem doing that. I expect the same when people come to my house if we're close. And that's the kind of relationship that, that Jesus had. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus ate little Debbies with them, but I'm just saying Jesus had that kind of he had that kind of relationship. He would just frequent that home. He just found something there. He found a great friendship there. And one day, Jesus and his disciples are hanging out right near the Jordan River. And this messenger comes to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus, the one whom you love, is sick. And the Bible said that when Jesus heard that, this is why this verse, you know, we, 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 we have the privilege of verse 44. We know how it plays out. These folks in this story don't have verse 44. And if we just read that and stopped, I think it was verse, uh, I think it was verse 6, uh, that when Jesus heard that the one whom he loved was sick, his good friend, uh, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, if I was writing the Gospel of John, I would have wrote, and when Jesus heard that the one that he loved was sick, he dropped everything and rushed immediately to Bethany. But that's not what Jesus did, and he stayed two more days. And by the time Jesus shows up at Bethany, Lazarus has been dead, not one, not two, not three, but four days. He's already in the tomb. They've already rolled the stone over the mouth of that tomb to seal it. And Jesus finally shows up. Now, this is a story that deals, obviously, with death. It deals with delay on the part of Jesus. It deals with what appears to be a deafening silence that God's ear just seems to be closed. It deals with doubt. It deals with despair. It deals with disappointment. Mary and Martha find themselves in a place where God's voice appears to be silent. His hand really seems to be still. Again, they don't have verse 44. They don't have John chapter 12, verse 1, when Jesus came back to Bethany again and he sat at the table. The Bible says this, and Lazarus, whom was dead, that Jesus raised from the dead, sat at the table with him. Mary and Martha don't have verse 44 where he comes out of the tomb alive. They don't have John chapter 12, verse 1, where they talk about Lazarus. They don't being raised from the dead. They, they don't have the end of the story. We have the end of the story. They don't have that. So think about it from their perspective. And they're struggling with it all. They're wrestling with the fact that Lazarus is dead. Jesus is late. And our whole world has been rocked. Now, contained in this story, there are what I call four main characters. There's really, there's six characters, but I'm just going to use four today. And all four of them, Jesus... Mary, Martha, Lazarus, we could talk about the disciples, we could talk about the crowd that was there, but I don't, those are minor players in my opinion. Pastor, sometime you can preach major lessons from the minor players in the life of Lazarus. I just gave you a sermon series, have at it. If it's any good, send it to me. <laughs> and these four characters, these four cast members, if you will, that we believe the Word of God is complete truth, their reaction to this whole scenario as it unfolds, they're different reactions, but yet their reactions reveal to us some timely lessons for living for me and you. So let's jump in here real fast. First of all, I want you to see the fact that Jesus waited. I'm going to give you the reaction, and I'm going to give you the lesson. So when Jesus hears... That the one whom you love is sick, 
It says that he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus waited. Now, why would Jesus wait and not show up until the fourth day? Why not wait for one day, show up on the third day? Why not rush immediately and get there? Well, there's a couple of things here. First of all, you have to understand that the Jews and their tradition, their belief was that when a man or woman died, that after that third day, decomposition would begin, their body would begin to decompose and to rot and to waste away. They believed that after the third day, that a man or woman's spirit left their body. And that after that third day, there'd be no hope for resurrection, no chance for a miracle, no way they could be raised from the dead. Do you think that Jesus knew that and knew that tradition and knew that belief? So in the mind of the Jews, after day three, shut the book, close it up, put the cause of death, put the death tag on his toe, seal the tomb. There's nothing that can be done. And if anybody, anybody shows up on the fourth day, it's a lost cause. But I believe, based on what I read and what I've studied, that Jewish tradition held to the fact that on the fourth day, nothing could happen. I believe Jesus was very particular and specific and knew that if I come on the fourth day and I raise him from the dead, there'll be no room for doubt in anybody's mind that a miracle has taken place. And when Jesus showed up on the fourth day, he was letting those people know this is a bona fide, legitimate miracle. I'm going to blow up tradition. I'm going to blow up protocol. I'm going to completely go against everything you think and everything you believe. I could have come on the third day, uh, but that wouldn't be good enough. I want to come on the fourth day so I can mess with your head a little bit and mess with your mind a little bit. I'm going to come on the fourth day and prove to you that I am indeed the very Son of God. And on day four, Jesus comes rolling into Bethany, gets to the tomb. I'll go into some details in a minute. Tells him to roll away the tomb and stands there. And from the depths of his soul, I believe, throws his head back and says, Lazarus, come forth. I heard one preacher say one time he had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just said, come forth, every single dead person would have come walking out of the grave because that's the kind of power that Jesus holds. And on day four, he calls Lazarus out of that grave, and the Bible said he came forth, bound hand and foot, looked at them, said, loose him, and let him go. Jesus waited that day, but here's the lesson behind the waiting. Waiting is never wasted. There's always purpose in your waiting. There's always a reason for your waiting. Here's the problem that we have. We're so enamored with what's next that we miss what God wants to do right now. We've got our eyes on the next best thing that's coming. We've got our eyes on the next open door. We've got our eyes on the place that God is taking us and what God might do. And the Lord says, listen, I'm here right now. See, Hebrews 11 and 1 says that now faith, not tomorrow faith, not, not next faith, not down the road faith, but now faith. It's a present tense faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Listen, God is working in the now, and we get so consumed with what's next, Pastor. We want to know what's the next place, what's the next open door, what's the next thing you have for my family. And while you're so wrapped up in next, you're missing the fact that God is working right now. And in that now moment that Mary and Martha found themselves in, they're worried about the fact that Jesus didn't show up and what's going to happen down the road. And he says, no, I'm here in your now. And I want to tell somebody that's waiting on God to come through. You're waiting on God to fulfill a promise. You're waiting on God to bring the word to pass. And you're so consumed with what the future looks like. If you're not careful, you'll miss the fact that God is a right now God. He's a present tense God. He's a now God. And in the midst of your season of waiting, it's never wasted. He's working right this very moment now in your life. So Jesus waited. Here's the second thing. Martha 
wavered. Her faith wavered again. She's not privy to verse 44. She doesn't have John chapter 12, verse 1. She just has her brother's dead. Jesus hasn't even got into Bethany yet. She meets him on the outskirts of town. Comes running. When she heard, the Bible said, when she heard that Jesus was coming, Martha, in typical fashion, wigs out. If you read the story of Martha and you read some other places, she was busy, she was worried, she was anxious, she just she was she was wound tight as a drum. I mean, I can relate to Martha a little bit. I get it. She didn't wait for Jesus to get into town. She hears he's coming, gets up, leaves the house, and meets him before he ever gets to Bethany. And says, the first thing she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, now I want you to watch the faith here. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give to you. Okay, there's faith, but watch. And Jesus says, your brother will live again, will rise again. Now watch her, watch her flip-flop. Oh, I know that he will. In the resurrection, at the last day, see, she's, she's thinking about next instead of now. She just said, but whatever you ask God, he'll give to you. Your brother's going to rise again. Oh, I know he will. In the resurrection, on the last day, Watch Jesus again, talking now, present tense. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm good. Man, I feel like preaching today. He didn't say, I'm going to be. He didn't say, I will be down the road. He said, now, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believeth on me, though he may die, yet he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Now watch. I believe that you are the Son of God who was sent into the world. She didn't answer the question. At least I don't think she did. Do you believe? I believe you're the Son of God. Who was sent? I wanted her to say, I believe he can live now. She didn't say that. And she's, she's wavering. Let me show you again. We get down to verse 39 and verse 40. Jesus finally gets into town. He goes to the tomb and he says, roll away the stone. And here's Martha. She's wavering. Lord, he's been dead four days by now. Let me give you the King James Version. Surely he stinketh. <laughs> let me give it to you in modern day version. Lord, let me give it to you in Pulaski vernacular. He gonna stink. <laughs> I'm a Southwest Virginia guy, I live in the mountains. I, I I can talk that. And watch what he says to her. Martha, did I not tell you? Sometimes. Man, I wish you could know how, if you looked half as good as I feel preaching this. Did I not tell you, sometimes we've got to be reminded about what God told us. We've got to be reminded that uh, he's good and he's faithful and he's just and he's true and that he's a man of his word and we've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Sometimes we we got to be reminded that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Sometimes we've got to be reminded that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Sometimes we've got to be reminded that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Sometimes we've got to be reminded that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not walk and he leads us and he guides us and directs us. Martha, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of the Lord? She's wavering. Who can blame her? Again, I'm going to say this a lot. She doesn't have verse 44. We have the privilege of seeing how this thing unfolds. She doesn't have the New King James Version of the Bible and the words written in red. We've read the back of the book. We've read the whole story. We know how it plays out. She has no idea he's going to show up and roll away the stone and call him back to life and then in the next chapter sit at the table with him. She doesn't have that benefit like we do. We see it differently, don't we? I told you that if you believe, 
and her faith is wavering. Her world has been rocked. I wasn't planning on burying my brother. He was just sick. I didn't realize it was going to be a sickness that would lead to his death. I, I wasn't supposed to be here. And see, it's the contradictions of life, I call them. It's the contradiction of the reality. And then over here, the revelation. The reality is, your brother's dead. The revelation is, I am the resurrection and the life. And the reality is, he's four days dead in a tomb and he smells bad. And the revelation is, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of the Lord now. See, life is full of contradictions. Some of you are in a place right now, it completely contradicts everything you thought about where you would be at this point in your life. Is this all right? Hope so. It's all I got. I didn't bring my folder with me. Some of you are at a place right now, and you say, this is not the place God spoke to me about. This is not the place I'm supposed to be. And you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and it's a contradiction of where you think you should be and where you are. Do you see Martha is dealing with life's contradictions? It's the reality of he's dead, but the revelation that the master said that if I would believe, I'd see the glory of the Lord. And the master said, I am, and it's not about tomorrow. And she's just confounded, and she's conflicted, and there's contradictions, and she doesn't know what to do, and her faith wavers. Anybody ever been there? If you haven't, hold tight. You will. Here's the lesson. Faith tests, and she's in a faith test, by the way. Faith tests are not sent to destroy us, but rather they serve to develop us. I don't want to recollect too much, but, Pastor, when I rolled in here, in 2015, nobody told me that two years down the road, I'm going to show up at 11 o'clock and watch the sanctuary and the classrooms and Pastor Lindell's building just go up in flames. Nobody told me that. Because if they told me, I probably would have said, thanks for the call, I'll pass. I don't know anybody that invites, Lord, you know, if you will, would you just please test my faith today? And do you, if you pray that, you've got trouble. You've got head trouble. <laughs> you need some medicine. You need something to calm you down. I mean, if you get up in the morning and your feet touch the floor and go, God, I want you to test my faith today and put me through a crisis and put me through a trial and stretch me and help me trust you. If you're praying that, you need to set up an appointment with your pastor. Better yet, you may need to set up an appointment with a Christian counselor and go talk to somebody. I don't pray that. When I got here in 2015, I didn't get on my knees and say, Lord, now if you'll just see fit in your will, let this place burn down. I really appreciate it so you can test my faith. When the overseer rolled up about 12 o'clock that night, Bishop Murkovich, he walks up and the first thing I said was, if I'd have known then, what I know now, nothing against y'all, I'd have never come here. He said, shut up, boy, you're lying. <laughs> it was half truth. I didn't invite that. I didn't, I didn't want that. The staff, we didn't want that. You didn't want that. We want to stand across the street and watch that big stained glass window blow out, and you could feel the heat in your face. I promise you, I wasn't bargaining for that. Heck, I wasn't bargaining for what I got when I got here. Broken, hurting. I'm not throwing anybody on the bus. It's just true. People had left. It was a, y'all were a mess. I'm hanging out Rocky Mountain, got it on cruise control. This is easy. Overseer calls. I'm going to talk to you about going to Pulaski. And as soon as he said it, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the courtesy. I'm going to pray about it. In my mind, I'm thinking, I, I, knew, I knew what was happening. I said, I, I ain't doing that. As soon as I hung the phone up, I knew I didn't have to pray. The Holy Spirit said, you're going. I said, no, I'm not. And I'm glad that I came when I found when I got here with some of the most loving, kind people I've ever encountered in my ministry. But, Pastor, I don't know anybody wants to go into a difficult situation. 
I mean, you guys didn't want to walk through what you walked through when your boy Ben was born. And you've preached about it, testified about it. You didn't want to walk through that. I don't think you and Sandra prayed, Lord, let there be complications in this birth so you can stretch our faith. Nobody prays like that. But if you live long enough, i got to hurry, and you stay around long enough, your faith will be tested. There will come a moment God looks at you and says, take your son, your only son, take your dreams, take your hopes, take your aspirations, walk them up a mountain, lay them down, and offer them to me as a burnt sacrifice and kill every aspiration, hope, and dream you have. And you say, saddle up the donkey. Let's go, God. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be there. But I've got to do what you said I'm supposed to do. And I can tell you that when your faith is tested and your faith is stressed, If you'll take that walk up the mountain, when you get there, on the other side is the provision of God. On the other side is a miracle of God. On the other side is the goodness of God. On the other side is the blessing of God. If you'll just step out in faith, I'm telling you, God wants to develop something on the inside of you. That's the best preaching I've done in about three or four weeks. It's not sent to destroy you. It's meant to develop you. It's about revelation. He told Martha, if you'll believe, you'll see the glory of the Lord. It's about revelation. God wants to reveal who he is to you in the midst of a faith test. Rick, Pat, and you and Pam are going to find God to be something you've never experienced him to be before in the middle of this faith test that you find yourself in. It's revelation. I promise you that God, in every faith test, God will reveal himself in a way to you, at least he has for me, in a way that you've never experienced before. You do know, and I don't have time to unpack all this, there are seven, seven names of God in the Hebrew that I love to pray and I love to talk about. You'll never know him as Jehovah Jireh till you get to a place that you need God to provide for you. You'll never know him as Jehovah Raha, the shepherd, until you get to a place that you need him to lead you and guide you through some difficult roads and down some difficult paths past. You'll never know him as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, till you get to a place you got to lay your hands on a family member and believe God to heal them. You'll never know him as Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace, until you get to a place and your mind is tormented and your mind is racing and your palms are sweating and your heart's about to beat out of your chest because here comes another panic attack. Here comes another wave of worry. Here comes another time of anxiety. You'll never know him as Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present God till you get into a place and you've got to have him show up. All I'm trying to tell you today, it's about revelation. And when you find yourself in a faith test, I guarantee you, God will show up in the midst of your fire. He'll show up in the midst of your hell. He'll be everything he promised he would be. And he'll reveal himself in a way you've never experienced. God's not trying to destroy you. God's building something in you. I'm about to preach myself happy in this place today. God has his hand on your life, and he's developing you into something great. How? I told myself I wasn't going to yell today. I lied. You know what, Pastor? I've been talking to you a lot today. I just like to talk to you. I feel like I hadn't preached good in about three or four weeks. Well, I'm feeling, I don't know if it's good, but I'm sure feeling good today. <laughs> Number three, I got to hurry. Jesus waited. Martha wavered. What about her sister Mary? Mary wondered. Because the Bible said that when Jesus got to the outskirts of town, Martha takes off. And Mary, verse 20, Sitting in the house. Now, I guarantee you, she wasn't, I bet you she'd been, I would guarantee you she'd been sitting there about four days. You know what she was doing? I think she was wondering. The Bible doesn't say that. I don't know if I can prove it, but since it's my sermon, I'm going to preach it how I want. She wasn't, she wasn't keeping house. She wasn't cooking something. She wasn't getting things ready for Jesus to show up. I'm telling you what she was doing. I can prove this to you. She was weeping. She was wondering. 
And after Jesus has that dialogue with Martha, the Bible said that Martha, every time you read about Martha, she's running quickly somewhere. She ran quickly to meet him, and the Bible says she ran quickly back to the house. I mean, she probably had some ADHD. She just wasn't diagnosed back then. I mean, she's always running somewhere, always trying to get somewhere. I mean, she can't ever just, she's always moving, always moving, always got somewhere to go. You know, they make some all-natural supplements for that. Ashwagandha, you know why I know? I take a couple every day. helps keep me mellow. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. I know. My gosh, Travis, you become a head case since you left. I'm just telling you the truth. I need a little help sometimes. Kelly said, here, won't you take some of these gummies? I think it'll help you. <laughs> I'm way off base right here. Now, listen, and I, there's a, there was for a while I took them, then I quit taking them. And my 19-year-old goes, you quit taking them things? I said, I have. She said, won't you take some and double up because you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> Martha needed some supplements, Pastor. She's struggling. Everything's quick. Got to go, got to go. And she gets to Mary. And she, the Bible said she said to her secretly, the teacher's here. The teacher. Yeah, the teacher as far as the rabbi teaching, but he's also teaching some other things, some life lessons. The teacher's here and he's calling you. And then Mary got up this time. And guess what she did? She ran quickly. She'd been hanging around Martha too long. And she ran quickly. And she gets to Jesus. And when she got there, the Bible said she fell at his feet. I believe she just collapsed. And she said, same thing Martha said, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But she didn't have that same faith declaration Martha had. And the Bible said that, Martha, um, that Mary was weeping. And there's no doubt in my mind she's wondering what could have happened if you'd have shown up on time. No doubt in my mind she's wondering, why didn't you come sooner? No doubt in my mind she's wondering, where were you at the most difficult moment of my life? Anybody ever been there and wondered before? When you left a freshly dug grave, that coffin contains the body of your loved one, and you walk away and wonder, what are we going to do? We lost Kelly's dad to Alzheimer's on Christmas Eve, past December. Patriarch of her family. Preacher's son, his dad was a pioneer Church of God preacher, all through the mountains of southwest Virginia. Two, three years had a battle of Alzheimer's. Her mother became his full-time caregiver, had to bathe him, had to take him to the bathroom. We watched the deterioration. And you don't think there were some questions, and we wondered. He served you all his life. He's one of the most upright, godly men I've ever met in my life. I tried to corrupt him, and I couldn't. And even in his moments of where his mind was leaving him, he was still on point enough to call me down at times. Had some music going one time for him. He loved Tim Hill. That was their home church. And Brother Hill's singing, and he's having a time, and there's tears coming down Doug's eyes, and I'm acting like I'm shouting, glory, hallelujah. He said, you better quit that blaspheming, boy. <laughs> We've wondered. You think, you think Mary wondered? You've stepped back, to, back at times and surveyed the scenario of your life and you've wondered. Listen, this church recently, no doubt you've wondered. How do you lose a 30-year-old young mother of three? I didn't know them, but I saw it on Facebook. You, don't, you better believe that I've wondered, you've wondered. There's no doubt Derek's wondered. Pieces after that. God, where were you? Why? Here's the truth. Jesus never answered any of those questions for Mary. Never. Here's the lesson. There are some answers to questions and some things that you'll never, ever make sense of. 
There's this verse of scripture in Deuteronomy 29 and 29. I don't like it. But it tells us the secret things belong to God. There's just some things he's never going to reveal to us. Ever. I mean, you wonder. I don't know if you read this in the news last week. How does a father of three boys, seven, four, and three, line them up execution style in Ohio and blow their brains out? And then when the one boy tries to get away at the admission of the father, he hunts him down in the woods like a wild animal and shoots him. You can't help but step back and go, what in the world is going on here? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you that God has these deep, profound answers to give to you. You remember when Job questioned him, don't you? You know how God responded? He answered a question with a question. That gets on my nerves. I don't want you to answer my question with a question. And Job starts pouring his heart out, of God, out to God and why and where and when and what. And God says, well, let me ask you a question, Job. Where were you when I formed the earth? That's not, what, that's not what I ask you, God. Well, yeah, but that's what I gave you. And Mary wondered. I wish I could tell you today I've got something better for you when it comes to this point, but the secret things belong to the Lord. Let me show you this fourth, this fourth thing. Jesus waited. Martha wavered. Mary wondered. Jesus wept. So when Mary comes running, falls at his feet, the Bible said that when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the Jews who had come with her weeping, that he groaned. And he was troubled in his spirit. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. In verse 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible. We laugh. It's, Quote me a scripture. Jesus wept two words that are powerful. How do we reconcile the strong son of God weeping? How do we reconcile the lion of the tribe of Judah Weeping. Miss Chris, how do we reconcile the King of Kings and the Lord of all Lords? Weeping. How do we reconcile the one who is returning first, who the Bible says is hairs like wool, his eyes are like a flame of fire, his feet are like brass. There's a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth on his thigh. There's a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How do we reconcile weeping with that kind of picture we get in Scripture? I'll tell you how. Because Hebrews 4 and 15 tells us, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's not just touched by the fact of our infirmities. Spiritual, physical. He's not just touched by the fact. He's touched by the feeling. He groaned. He was troubled. There's places in Scripture where it says Jesus sighed. He's touched by the feeling. Because I'm going to tell you, and that's the lesson. He's not just touched by the fact. He's touched by the feeling. Anything you've been through, he's already experienced it. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected by men, led like a lamb to the slaughter, never opened up his mouth. That's what Isaiah said about him, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Surely he's borne our grief, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Anything you've been through, he's already been there. When's the last time somebody smacked you across your face and spit in your face? When's the last time, last time somebody balled up their fist and punched you in your face? When's the last time somebody took a handful of hair on your head or your face, gentlemen, plucked it out? When's the last time they put a crown of thorns 
on your head and took a wooden stick and beat the top of it and drove it into your brow till blood dripped down? When's the last time somebody tied up your wrist and beat you almost beyond recognition? When's the last time you were forced to carry a crossbeam on your shoulders after being beaten and laid down on a cross and spikes driven through your hands and through your feet? When's the last time somebody took a spear and subbed it through your side? Well, I'm not minimizing what you've been through. I'm telling you, whatever you've been through, he's already been there and done that. Some of you are stressing out over somebody at work talking about you behind your back. Oh, he's been through that too. They called him a lunatic. They called him a liar. Called him demon-possessed. A wine-bibber and a drunkard. And if somebody's talking about you and I say, at least they're talking about you. Sometimes your enemy will give you free publicity. Talk on. I've told folks before, I've walked in, they were kidding around. We well, he's just talking about you. I said, won't be the first person, and you definitely won't be the last. Jesus wept. I promise you. Oh, I understand there's not going to be any tears in heaven according, according to Revelation. No tears, no sorrow, no grief. There wouldn't be any of that in heaven. I'm not talking about Eric Clapton either, no tears. I'm talking about John the Revelator in Revelation. But down here, it's part of it. And I promise you, he's touched by the feeling of your infirmities. He's touched by your broken heart. He's touched by your pain. He's touched by your sorrow. He's touched by your grief. I know this sounds simplistic and preachy, but when nobody, when nobody else cares, I promise you, Jesus cares. No one ever cared for me. But I'm driving these cameramen crazy this morning, aren't I? Moving all over the place. Sorry. Let me give you this last thing. I'm closing. Jesus waited. Martha wavered. Mary wondered. Jesus wept. Lazarus won. Lazarus won. You know why one? Because Jesus showed up. Jesus spoke up. Jesus raised up and freed up him who was bound up. And whether living or dying, we win every single time. that this world and your life has to be hell and chaos and grief and loss all the time. I came across a verse of scripture when I was youth pastor back at Nortonsville 26 years ago. Psalm 27, 13. I think I've heard you quote this before, Pastor. It's one of my favorite verses of all the Bible. I would have lost heart unless I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means on this side of heaven you can have victory. On this side of heaven, you can have joy. You can have peace. You can have healing. You can be blessed on this side of heaven. The Bible doesn't teach that we have to live in gloom and despair and persecution and sickness and chaos our whole time down here. We can see the goodness of God in, on this side of heaven, Pastor. Yeah, I've been through some stuff. Yeah, I've been through some things in 47 years of living, but I'm telling you, on this side of heaven, I have experienced the goodness of the Lord. I'm telling you most every day, I say, God, you've been way too good to me, way, way better than I deserve. This doesn't have to be a terrible time. We're just weary pilgrims, I used to say. Just weary pilgrims passing through this land, just hoping Jesus will come back. Yeah, I want the Lord to return, but on this side of heaven, I can experience the goodness of God in the land of the living, and my family can be saved and my finances can be blessed and my future can look hopeful and I can have joy and peace and I can experience the miraculous provision of God on this side of heaven in spite of all the hell that might go on. Come on, stand up. Because here's the truth. 
It's not about the fleeting moments of life down here. It's about our eternal destination. You know this to be true. Lazarus, he lived twice, by the way. You know that? He lived twice. He's born. He died. He lived again. He lived twice, and guess what? He died twice. I don't know. When I read that, it just kind of dawned on me. I've lived twice. I was born to Paula Jean Gore, May the 15th, 1976. Six pounds, seven ounces. Mary Washington Hospital, Fredericksburg, Virginia. The baby of three boys. I was the most well-behaved. Still am, and I'm best-looking. Still am. I hope they don't watch this live stream. That's when I, that's when I lived the first time. But I lived again. Even though I was born and raised in a preacher's home, teeth on Church of God pews. I stood at a winter fest in Gatlinburg, Tennessee at 17 years old, and I lived again and quit playing church and finally surrendered my life and said, God, I'm going to be yours. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to answer the call to ministry, and I lived again. I was born again. And do I have anybody twice born in this place today? You know that you've lived twice when Jesus came down into your wretched, miserable soul and washed you and cleaned you up and took away your sin and saved your soul. Hallelujah. If you haven't lived twice, you don't know what you're missing. I'm going to tell you, if I go by way of the grave before Jesus comes back, I win. And I hope I'm going to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. And if I live down here till Jesus comes, will there be difficulties? Sure. But can I experience the faithfulness and goodness of God on this side of heaven? Yes, I can. You get the picture living or dying? We win. Either way, we win. Will you do something for you? Look at your neighbor and tell them, say, we win. Tell them, we win. We win. We win. We win. We win. I told you I was good for 10 more minutes when he came. Let me leave you with this. We're going to come to the altar. The name Lazarus, I love the meaning of names. The name Lazarus comes from the, it's a Hebrew origin. It comes from the Hebrew word Elazar. And here's what it means. It has a threefold meaning. It blew my mind when I read it. Some of you may know this, but I didn't. this was new for me recently. It says it means God has helped. Past tense. Anybody can testify today God's helped you at some point in your life? It has another meaning. It means God is helping. Past tense. Present. Anybody right now? living in the midst of God helping you and he's getting you through some stuff and he's being faithful. Come on, wave at me if that's true today. Come on, come on. But it has a third meaning. I never knew this. God has helped. God is helping. God will help. It covers my past. It covers my present. And it covers my future, Gene Turpin. That when I get to wherever I might be going... God's already there. He has, he is, and he will. I'm going to tell you today, you've got a reference point for where you are right now. You can look back over your shoulder and say, yeah, God has helped me before. God's been faithful to me. I can look back and I can count the victories and I can count the healings. I can count the deliverance. I can count the breakthrough. I can count the mercy, the grace, and the goodness of God. God has helped me. I can even look at where I am right now. I can tell you God is helping me. There's some folks, you've come out of some stuff recently, and you find yourself smack dab in the middle of grief and loss and despair, and God is helping you get up every morning. God's helping you put your two feet on the floor. God's helping you get one, one foot in front of the other and one leg into your pants, and he's helping you live day by day, moment by moment, grace by grace. 
But here's what I can tell you. If he did it then, and he's doing it now. Pardon me. Listen, camp meeting was so good the other night. I ran, I'm telling you, I ran for the first time. I just took off out of my seat and running. And the evangelist got behind me and followed me. I don't know what he was doing. I just ran. What for, Travis? Because I just felt the presence of God on the inside of me. And I, just, I couldn't think of anything else to do. I just took off. I'm telling you. I don't know where you're headed. I don't know what's on the horizon. I don't know what you're going to deal with. God has, God is, God will. Raise up your hands in this place. Come on. (laughs) Raise up your hands in this place. Somebody call out to God. You need him right now where you are. I mean, you need him. All you can say is, oh, God, just say it. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, God, I need you. major faith crisis. Not that you've quit serving God, but your faith's been rocked. Everything you believe to be true about God, you're questioning, wondering, God, how, why? What are you doing? What do you got to say to that, Travis? All I can tell you is God has, God is, and God will. I'm just going to walk this aisle for a minute today. Some of you are in here and you're wondering... I mean, you've got more questions for God than you can even find answers. God, how could you? I've been faithful. I've served you. I've loved you. What in the world's going on, God? God just says, the secret things belong to me, but I have, I am, I will. somebody open up your mouth and give God praise right now. I just sense the Spirit of the Lord just ministering today to some people. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Rick Patton. God has. God is. God will. He's got his hand on you and Pam. None of this caught God by accident. None of it caught God by surprise. Didn't catch God off guard. You can point back over the 65 years of your life and know that God has. You can look now, God is. But I promise you, God will. I don't want to prolong this or drag this out today. I'm not going to do that. But I must ask this this morning. If you're sitting in this building... don't know Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you've not been born again, you've not lived twice I'm telling you before you leave here today you can live again I know we're supposed to bow our heads and close our eyes and do this in private, I just don't want to do that today, if you don't have to do this, maybe you can respond in just a moment walk this aisle when a bunch of us come but if you're here today, say Travis I've not lived twice. I want this Jesus you're talking about that weeps and cares. Even though I understand everything in my life right now, I know I can't live this life by myself. I need him, Travis. I want to live twice. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand just, 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 just about right here and say, yeah, that's me. I want to receive Christ today. Is there anybody in this building? I want to receive Christ today. Come on. I want to live twice, Travis. I want to live twice. Here's what I want you to do today. We're going to do this quickly. I don't know what time you get out normally, but... I'll be gone next week, so you get back out at regular time. If you're here today, and this is resonating with you, and you find yourself in a place, wondering, waiting, wavering, and you need the Lord to give you strength and give you grace and guide you today, I'm going to ask you as soon as Pastor Tony begins to sing, you may have to get a family member's hand and walk. Listen, you know what I sense today? I sensed it all week long. I just sense there's some heaviness. There's some hearts today that are just racked with 
grief and loss over someone you've lost, something you've lost, something that's happened in your life, and you need the presence of the loving Father today just to embrace you. Pastor Tony, I want you to start singing today. If you're waiting, if you're wondering, if you're wavering, you need the Lord to touch you, come down to this altar and stand, and we're going to pray today. Come on. As soon as he starts singing, out of your pew, come. Out of your chair, come as quick as you can. Come on.